As already been mentioned by Andy in the announcements, we've had a great day already in the Lord. We've heard a great lesson, got an opportunity for some ice cream and some fellowship, and it's great to see everybody who's made the effort to be here tonight. Especially glad to see Miss Beverly Lewis sitting in the back who braved the conditions, the rain, and everything else to be here. And so let's make sure to greet her when the last amen is said tonight as well. Looking forward to our time together as we study tonight. Several professors from Harvard Business School wrote in the Harvard Business Review in 2016 about signs that employers should look for when their employees are about to quit without giving notice. They said you might look at various characteristics. They list 13. We won't be exhaustive here. But they talk about this idea that maybe a person is less engaged than they were before. You hear them talking less about the company vision and about things of that nature. They're not as enthusiastic as they once were before. They don't talk about goals and desires for the future. And though they haven't said anything, if you see these signs, they've said you might want to think about this person's departure from the company because they may be or possibly could be on the verge of quitting. You know, Jesus told his disciples that beginning is great, but he encouraged us to finish. Matthew 10:22, he says, you'll be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endures to the end will be saved. Or Revelation 2 and verse 10, that famous verse about endurance where Jesus tells the churches that the one that is faithful until death will receive the crown of life. In order to be crowned in the end, according to Jesus, we've got to finish and make sure that we don't quit. The reality is no elder, no preacher, no Christian for that matter can read the heart of anybody here tonight. But we do need to encourage one another and encourage ourselves to stick with our Christianity no matter what. I was in my hotel this week. I was out of town working on this lesson. And I'm going to be honest with you. I thought really hard about not preaching this lesson tonight. I thought, well, maybe this lesson is more of a Sunday morning lesson. I mean, after all, the Sunday night people are the cream of the crop. People in this condition coming back on a Sunday night, maybe they don't need this lesson. And maybe it'd be better at another time. And I prayed and I started thinking about it. And I realized I thought about some conversations I've had with people in other places that were faithful and involved, and by all standards, you would say, this person is locked in. This person is faithful to the Lord, not budging at all. And lo and behold, they come up to you and they say things like, you know what, I'm struggling in my faith, or I'm barely holding on, or at some point they drop out altogether. I was talking to a friend from Florida a few weeks ago, and he suffered some terrible loss, and we were talking about another man that he and I both know that's a member at this congregation, and he said he doesn't attend anymore. He suffered a terrible loss, and as a result of that, he's just drawn back altogether. Nobody's seen him or heard from him. We've called him. We've reached out, but he's just about quit. He's in his upper 70s. He's closer to Jesus now than he's ever been. He's been faithful his whole life. He and I have done work together, visited together, and life's hit him hard. I mean really hard, but he's just about quit. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 13, let none of us grow weary in doing well. Maybe you're not weary tonight, and if you're not, I hope you put this lesson in the file. But if you are, if it took everything you have within you to be here tonight, if you just barely squeak through the doors and maybe to everybody else on the outside, you don't have the signs. Nobody would look at your life and see that your faith is hanging on by a thread or that you're hanging on by a mere rope. Be encouraged tonight. You can't quit. Not that I can physically stop you or that anybody can, but I hope the lesson tonight will encourage you if you ever think about quitting to think again. We're going to look at seven points tonight that I hope will help us if we ever think about it and if we find others in that condition that we might encourage them to stick with it because in the end we're only going to be crowned if we finish well. Here are seven things to think about tonight if you ever think about quitting. Here's number one. If you ever think about quitting, remember you're in good company. 
Dawson read from us to us tonight from the book of Hebrews, and the book of Hebrews is a word of exhortation, and much of the book of Hebrews is written to say to Christians then that they have it better. They've got a better covenant. Hebrews 7, verse 19. Jesus is the better mediator and a better guarantee. Hebrews 7 and verse 22. He's the mediator of a better covenant established on better promises. Hebrews 8 and verse 6. And Hebrews 10, 34 says we have a more enduring and better possession in heaven than those in the old covenant had. And the entire 13 chapters of the book of Hebrews is written to Christians to say, don't you ever give up because you have a glorious inheritance in Jesus. When you get to Hebrews chapter 11, there's this roll call of the faithful and there are people like Abraham mentioned and Rahab and Noah and Enoch. And he says, look at all of these people that died in faith. Hebrews 11 and verse 13. And you read that chapter and you say to yourself, what does this have to do with somebody that's on the verge of quitting? And you get to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse one. And the text says, seeing then that we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily ensnare us and let us run with patience the race set before us. The encouragement from the writer of the book of Hebrews is this. Other people have persevered and pressed through and you can do the same. But just scan the list in Hebrews 11. And what you'll find is that people in the old covenant has similar struggles and difficulties. You just start reading through the pages of the Bible and it just destroys this idea that biblical characters were 10 feet tall, never had any problems, always felt like singing God's praises, always want to do what's right. The Bible just simply holds out for us. That's not true. Abraham had faith, trusted in God, but on occasion deviated from God's plans, went with his handmaid Tamar or Hagar and ruined a lot of things as a result of that. Genesis 16, one through four. Job several times in his life was so frustrated with his circumstances. He says, God, I'd be better off dead. Job chapter three, verses two and three. Moses is probably the greatest human leader in the history of the world outside of Jesus Christ. But he was so overwhelmed with his burdens. In Numbers 11, 10 through 15, he says, God, I'd be better off dead. Jeremiah, the fiery prophet from the sixth century in Jeremiah 27 through nine, says, I'm tired of preaching for you, God. It's difficult. These people won't listen. I'm not getting any results. I said I won't speak in his name anymore. Jeremiah had just about resigned. He was willing and about to give up even Paul. For all of his zeal, all of his fire, all of his tenacity, he tells us about a time in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 8 where he despaired of life itself. Even Paul said on one occasion, I'm just about ready to give up. If you ever think about quitting, remember you're in good company. You're not the first person to struggle. You're not the first person to be on the rope, spiritually speaking, and about to throw in the towel. Some of the people you read about in the Bible and love the most were in the exact same condition, but they didn't quit. Scholastic.com encouraged parents to read to their children biographies of famous people for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons is they said children need to learn about people that succeeded under great hardship and difficulty. They need to read about people who succeeded against all odds, but sprinkled in biographies is often the hardship and difficulties that even great people in science and politics and sports and in business endured. And it says it'll strengthen them if they do this. But that's not just good advice for children in grade school. It's good advice for adults as well. We need to learn to take the Bible and read the inspired biographies of people who endured great hardship, much like we do. And yet they persevered. James chapter five, verse 10 and verse 11 says, consider the prophets as an example of endurance and of long suffering and how they persevered to the end. And, you know, the patience of Job and you've seen the end of the Lord, that he is patient and steadfast. James is saying, look at examples out in front of you. If you ever think about quitting, you're in good company. But you can't quit because if you persevere, you'll be in greater company. What you can say about all of the people in Hebrews 11 is that they didn't throw in the towel. They were frustrated. They were angry. They were upset. They were struggling. 
and yet they persevered. And you and I must do the same thing. Serving God, even being a faithful servant of God, in no way shields us from the harsh realities of life. In fact, serving God might push us closer to those things. But when we think about giving up, we need to look to the scriptures and see other people were in similar circumstances and they overcame. And so can we. Here's number two. If you ever think about quitting, remember to ask yourself why. Turn your Bible to Galatians chapter three. The book of Galatians, again, is written to thwart false doctrine that's infiltrated the churches of Galatia. And Paul writes to them. You remember in chapter one, verses six through eight, he says, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him who called you to the grace of Christ to another gospel. And Paul's just blown away with the fact that this church would go into apostasy and let the Judaizing teachers come in and cause them to doubt their salvation in Jesus. But what's Paul's mechanism to help people that are on the verge of throwing away their faith? He taxes them with questions. And so in Galatians three and verse one, he says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth as crucified? Paul's question is, where did you get this false doctrine that has blinded your eyes? In chapter three and verse one, this word for bewitched, he uses a word that means to really cast a spell on somebody. Paul's point is, who's come in and thrown this spell on you that now you won't believe the truths that you once held closely to? In chapter five and verse seven, he says, you did run well. Who did hinder you from obeying the truth? What Paul does is what every one of us needs to do if we ever think about quitting. Start asking yourself questions. What we're often tempted to do in times of difficulty and hardship is we accept everything our heart pours into us. But our heart, I've said before, it's a great student. It's a terrible teacher. Your heart is not in a condition to train you and tell you how to live. You're supposed to train your heart in that regard. Twice in the Psalms, back to back, in Psalm 42 and verse 5, and in Psalm 43 and verse 5, there's a discouraged individual. But instead of listening to his heart, he talks to his heart. And here's his question. Why are you cast down on my soul and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my salvation and my God. What the psalmist does is what every one of us needs to do in times of deep discouragement and if we ever think about quitting. When you're on the ropes and thinking about quitting, the last thing your heart wants is a spiritual quiz. But that's exactly what your heart needs. Rather than letting yourself off the hook and going with your feelings, you need to reel your feelings in through piercing and calculated questions about your spiritual state. You know, people quit for all types of reasons. Somebody never acknowledged the good things that they did, like the prodigal son in Luke 15, 29. Lo, these many years I've served you, Father, I've never at any time transgressed your commandments. And they might feel like, hey, my spiritual tenacity, my gifts, they've been totally ignored. I think I'm going to quit. They need to ask themselves why. Sometimes it's because of hardship and suffering. Romans 8 and verse 18 says the sufferings of this present time aren't worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. Sometimes people quit because somebody they really looked up to, a spiritual titan or giant or influence in their lives has gone astray. And it happened with Paul in Galatians 2. He says even Barnabas was carried away with the hypocrisy of Peter and the Judaizers. But that's no need to quit. No reason to quit. If you ever think about quitting, just sit down and ask yourself why. I've talked with people who've been on the rope spiritually and they list all of these reasons. And after talking to them and getting down to the heart of it, what it sometimes is, is a person is engaged in some sin or ungodly behavior. And for them, it's made Christianity less attractive. And if they're honest and sincere, they'll just say, you know what? My heart's divided right now. I've given in to lust and temptation and sin, and that sin's bringing about death, and it's causing me to doubt my convictions and the truth of God's word. James 1, 13 through 15. If you ever think about quitting. Ask yourself why. But don't just ask yourself about the quitting. Also ask yourself about Christianity. Why would you become a Christian in the first place? 
you should probably start asking yourself this. Did I intend to become a disciple when I was baptized for the forgiveness of my sins? Luke 9 and verse 23. Did I actually think when I became a Christian that everything in my life would always go my way? And did I make some unspoken deal with God that went something like this? God, I will serve you and be faithful to you so long as I always feel like doing so. And so long as you always honor and hear my request in the way that I desire. Is that what I really signed up for? Or am I struggling with the harsh realities of life and about to make a terrible decision? If you ever think about quitting, remember to ask yourself why. Remember to ask yourself why you're thinking about going astray and why you started Christianity to begin with. If we remember our why, we can perform the what. Much of our Christianity, we talk about the what. We need to evangelize. We need to study the Bible. We need to make sure that we're present in service and active and engaged. And all of that's important. But I'm telling you, if you only focus on the what and you forget your why in difficult times, it will strangle your faith to death. If you only focus on the what you have to do and forget about why you're doing it, you won't have enough ammunition in difficult times to persevere. Listen to John in 1 John 4 and verse 19. We love him because he first loved us. The reality is we've become Christians because we've acknowledged our sinful state. We've seen the love of God expressed to us in the cross of Jesus Christ. We've seen the grace that's been poured out richly for us. And in faith, we've responded to that. He's pronounced us forgiven. And we want to glorify him now on earth and eventually glorify him eternally in heaven. And that's why we become Christians. And so we can't quit. If you ever think about quitting, remember to ask yourself why. Here's number three. If you ever think about quitting. Consider the consequences. You know, the New Testament holds this out over and over again for Christians. 2 Peter chapter 2 is a famous one. 2 Peter 2, 20 through 22, where Peter says, It's happened to them according to the true proverb, the dog has returned to his vomit, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. One time I was studying this passage, and I wanted to figure out why dogs eat their vomit. Now, the easy answer to that is what? They're dogs. That's what dogs do. But there's a more calculated answer. And they say that dogs have such a keen sense of smell that even after they eat their food and vomit it out, that keen sense of smell can allow them to stand over the vomit and block out all of the smells of what they just spit up. And in their minds, they only smell the meal that they ate the first time and they're able to eat it. Bon appetit. If you go back into the world after having become a Christian, you simply do the same thing. You block out all the smells and the filth of the world that will kill your soul and damn you, according to 1 John 2, 15 through 17. And you engage in eating the same filth that once would have ruined your eternal future with God. If you ever think about quitting, remember the consequences. Throughout the book of Hebrews, the Hebrew writer often reminds his Christian friends about the consequences of those that apostatize. So in chapter two, for example, he says, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first was spoken to us by the Lord and was also confirmed to us by those that heard them? God bore them witness with signs and miracles and diverse gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. Hebrews two, three and four. He'll say something like this. If those that didn't escape under Moses law were punished and every transgression of disobedience received the just recompense of reward, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? If we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking of judgment. Hebrews 10, 26 and 27. If you ever think about quitting, remember the consequences. Hebrews 6, he says, it's impossible to restore those again who once tasted the heavenly gift and who've been partakers of the Holy Spirit and of the word of God. Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. Listen, I'm not telling you that if you ever quit and fall away, you can't find your way back. I'm just telling you, you might not. And Jesus says in John 8 and verse 21, if you die in your sins, where I am, you can't come. Far from a scare tactic. This is a scriptural one. 
We need to be thinking about if I ever listen, if you're on the verge, if you're on the ropes and you think about quitting and if you're able to block the consequences from your mind, you just might go through with it. But if you can think about the scriptural consequences of turning your back on Jesus Christ, it may be the only thing that stops you from doing it. What are the consequences? You'll be beat with many stripes as somebody who knew better. Luke 12, 47 through 48. You'll be a laughing stock to everybody who saw you begin to build this tower of discipleship and you threw in the tower prematurely. Luke 14, 28 through 30. You'll experience what John calls the second death of Revelation chapter 20, verse 7 and 8. You'll fulfill a disgusting proverb, Proverbs 26 and verse 11. God will blot your name out of the book of life. Imagine coming to the judgment bar of God and God looking for your name in the book. And it was once written there. Exodus 32 and verse 33, Revelation 21 and verse 8. And saying, oh, you were here. You were going to hear well done. Your name's been blotted out and it's blotted out forever because you turn back. If you ever think about quitting, remember the consequences and don't do it. Turn your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy is Paul's last inspired letter, and he writes at the end to Timothy about the things that will be his and about people in their traveling whereabouts that were in their companion of co-workers. And when you get to Second Timothy, chapter four and verse 10, he says about Demas, Demas has abandoned me, having loved this present world and has departed to Thessalonica. He says Demas was once a co-worker. You find Demas in Colossians 4.14 and in Philemon 24 as a co-worker and faithful servant with Paul. But by the time you get to the end of Paul's life. Demas has turned back. Now Demas walks around the churches of Thessalonica, not as a missionary, but as a mission field who needs to be reminded of the faith he once professed. But you've got to be asking yourself, doesn't Demas know? Surely he stood over Paul's shoulders, maybe as Paul wrote First Thessalonians. Surely he's heard the warnings as Paul encouraged others. You can't just begin, but press on and continue to abound. First Thessalonians 4, 1 and 2. Somehow, I don't know how Demas did it, but he just forgot the consequences. And I'm saying to us tonight, if you ever think about quitting, don't forget the consequences. 2018, Taylor Smith pushed her friend, Jordan Holgerson, off of a 50-foot bridge in Oregon. She says that initially the girl Jordan wanted to jump and she changed her mind and she pushed her. Jordan broke about five ribs and suffered some severe lung issues. Taylor suffered a little bit of time in prison as a result. She did an exclusive interview with Good Morning America and was very remorseful. They said, why'd you do this? This was your friend. She said, I didn't mean to do it. She wanted to jump initially. She changed her mind. And then I just pushed her. And then she says, and I didn't think about the consequences. Now, listen, I don't mean to make fun of Taylor. She was very remorseful if you see the video, but you just got to ask yourself, what was she expecting? I mean, did she think that Jordan would literally grow wings midair and soar like an eagle when she pushed her? What does she think the consequences could possibly be of pushing somebody off a 50 foot bridge? If you ever think about quitting, what do you think the consequences are going to be? Surely the suffering we're experiencing in this life that might even push us to that conclusion. We can't imagine in our minds that to turn away from the Lord and be plunged into eternity before him, our circumstances somehow will improve. It'll be far worse if we ever think about quitting because of difficulty here. This is as easy as our lives will ever be in view of eternity. You can't quit. Stick with the Lord. He's the best option we have, the only option we have in order to persevere faithfully. If you ever think about quitting, think of the consequences. Here's number four. If you ever think about quitting, look to your church family. Ephesians 2 and verse 19, the church is called the household of God. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, it's called the house of God. 
Jesus says, call one another brothers. In Matthew 23, verse 8 and verse 9, we are the family of God. We're more than people that just believe the same things and come to the same building to worship. As far as the New Testament is concerned, we're family, and that means something. It means if you ever think about quitting, you should look to your brothers and sisters in the Lord and let them encourage you and help you. You think about Moses in Exodus 17, the people of Israel fighting the people of Amalek at the foot of the mountain. And Moses is up there. And as long as he holds up his hands, the people of Israel are successful. Moses gets weary and as his hands begin to droop, so do Israel's chances of victory. But what happens for Moses? Aaron and her hold up his hands. And as a result, the next verse, Exodus 12, 17 and verse 13 says Joshua smote the people of Amalek and Israel was successful. But if you ever think about quitting, nobody can hold up your hands if you hide your hands. If you tell everybody that everything's going well, you've got no problems, no struggles, nobody can help you. If you ever think about quitting, throw yourself on the mercy of the brethren and let us help you. Be encouraged by other Christians that want to come alongside you and that want to help you in the Christian life. Hebrews 3 and verse 13, the Hebrew writer says, but let us encourage one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. In Acts 11 and verse 23, it says that Barnabas went down to the church at Antioch. He saw the grace of God. He was glad and he exhorted them with singleness of heart to remain steadfast and faithful to the Lord. If you ever think about quitting, remember the church is your family. And we need to use that kind of terminology. You lean on your family. You trust your family. You tell them the things you're struggling with. And you need to know that you're in a room full of people that really want to help you go to heaven. Galatians chapter six, Paul says in verse one, brethren, if any of you be overtaken in a fall, you which are spiritual, restore such one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. But listen, if you're on the verge of giving up, you've got to give us the opportunity to do that. You've got to give other people the opportunity to come alongside you and help you so that you don't throw in the towel and so that you don't quit. If you ever think about quitting, remember that the church is your family and we want to help you in your Christian life. About four hours from here in Limestone, Tennessee, recent, maybe you saw this. It was in the Washington Post I was reading this week. And there's been a six-foot giraffe that's been born without the spots. They say it's the only one in the world. In fact, a specialist was interviewed and responded, I've seen no giraffe like this even in all the wildlife in Africa. It's the only one of its kind. I think sometimes when we're on the verge of giving up and quitting, we think we're like this giraffe, the only one of our kind. We're the only people struggling. We're the only people that have tense marriages where everything doesn't always go the way we want. We're the only one whose children don't listen right away the first time all the time. We're the only one who don't listen. I love spiritual things. I know it should be the delight of my soul. But the truth be told, sometimes I struggle to really be excited about the things I should even paying attention in an assembly like this one. But surely that's only me. Listen, all these other people, they've got it all figured out. I'm the only one struggling. Only me. I'm God's black sheep, the devil's favorite punching bag. I'm the only one struggling. And as long as we believe that lie. We'll walk away from the Lord and be totally deceived. Notice two passages. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and notice verse 13. We know these verses, but I think we sometimes forget the communal aspect of these verses and what it tells us about difficulty. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul writes about the failings of Old Testament Israel. And in verse 12, he says, let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. But notice verse 13. There is no temptation that's overtaking you as such, but it's common to man. What does that mean? It means you're not going through anything that anybody else isn't going through. Other people struggle through the same thing. 
People go through similar things. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation may provide a way of escape that you might be able to bear. Now, here's the thing. Somebody says, yes, First Corinthians 10, 13 says I need to look for a way of escape. But what if one of the ways of escape is the commonality with other people who've been through similar trials? And you need to be asking them, where's the exit door when you're going through something like I'm going through? Because you've made it out before. Such as is common to man. God didn't make new escape doors for everybody else. It's the same signpost of escape that he's been giving people as long as time has stood. But here's the other passage. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 and notice verse 8. We know verse 8 better. And that's really a shame. It's an important verse, but there's something that follows it. 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, Peter says, be sober and be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. We say the devil's after me. He's devouring me. But notice verse 9. Whom you resist steadfast in your faith, knowing that the same conflict is being accomplished by your brotherhood throughout the world. Peter says, hey, the devil wants to devour you. But verse 9 says he wants to devour everybody like you. You're not alone. If you ever think about quitting, remember the church is your family. When we go and talk to wayward people, we should say to them, we want you back. We want you to come home. Jesus wants you to come home. But it's more than just we want you to come home because you need to be here. The reality is for every individual who's ever walked away from the Lord, they offer things that we need from them. It's not just about us going out to help them come back to the Lord. It is to say you owe us your encouragement as well. And we can't get on without you. In Philippians chapter two, Paul says Epaphroditus was sick and he nearly died. But God spared Epaphroditus. And in Philippians 2, 25 through 30, Paul lists three groups of people that were blessed as a result of Epaphroditus not dying. He says, God had mercy on him. That's Epaphroditus. But then he says, and also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And then he concludes by saying, by the way, Epaphroditus, when he got better, he administered the service toward me that you Philippians couldn't do because of distance. Three people were made better because Epaphroditus didn't die. He never wrote a New Testament book. He never preached a sermon that we know about or performed a miracle. But Paul says my life was changed because he made it. And I think sometimes we think of ourselves as inconsequential. Nobody will care if I leave. If I fall away, nobody will. Hey, there's a big group of people. Nobody will miss me. But we do need you. First Thessalonians three and verse eight. Paul says, now we live. If you stand fast in the Lord, what does that mean? What does Paul mean that he, Silas and Timothy stand fast in the Lord? If the Thessalonians don't quit, Paul saying, when you press through It tells me that I can, too. And if that was true for Paul, it ought to be true for every one of us. If you ever think about quitting, remember the church is your family. Here's number five. If you ever think about quitting, remember the crown. James 1 and verse 12 says, Blessed is the man that endures temptations, for when he's tried, he'll receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those that love him. Just think about the rewards. Think about the consequences, but also the reward. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us, John 14, 1 through 6. And if we want that, we'll press on toward the goal. It's held out for those that endure. God has promised eternal life to those that make it through. Paul says, I fought a good fight and finished the course and kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me in that day. But not to me only, Paul says, to all those that love is appearing. If we want to remember, if we want to press through and not give up, we should remember the crown. On Sunday mornings right now, we're studying the book of Revelation. And there are some confusing parts of Revelation. A lot of it, really. Here's one thing that's not confusing in the whole book. The reality is, if you overcome, God says you get to come over. And if that's all you learn in the 22 chapters, you've really got the crux of the message. Jesus tells every one of the seven churches, he holds out hope to them and he says, hey, you're going through difficulty. But if you overcome, you'll have a new name. 
you'll eat the hidden manna. I'll write a name on you that only people can know that enter the new Jerusalem, which has come down out of heaven. I've got great things in store for you, but you've got to persevere. You can't give up. You've got to stick with it. I don't know what you know about this website called Excite.com, but in 1999, they were the number two search engine in the world. Google was the new kid on the block, and they had the opportunity to buy Google for some $174,000, but for unknown reasons, they declined. They later was sold to a company called Ask.com, and Google today is worth around $131 billion. They had an opportunity. It would have been worth it, and they missed it. And as we think about the crown that awaits us, if we give in and if we give up, we'll look back in eternity and say it would have been worth it. We missed it. Paul says for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Why we look not at the things that are seen, the things that are unseen, the things that are seen are temporary. The unseen things are eternal. It will be worth it. And so we should persevere. Here's number six. If you ever think about quitting, do not discourage others. Turn your Bible to Psalm 73. I think this is important. Psalm 73, Asaph is struggling with his faith. In fact, he's like a a lot of people in the Bible. I mean, you put Asaph in Psalm 73 alongside Job, alongside the prophets, a man who's frustrated with God. Turn your Bible to Psalm 73 and just notice briefly the frustration that was his. He says, my feet had almost slipped, Psalm 73 and verse 2. Psalm 73 and verse 3, Asaph says, I was angry when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Everything goes their way. In verses 4 through 12, Asaph's so upset, he decries all of the things that evil people get away with. In verse 13, he says, I follow God for nothing. It doesn't pay to serve him. And then in verse 14, he says, you know, I'm persecuted and I suffer all day. But then in verse 15, and I love this verse. I'm going to read this verse. I think it's so impactful. I think it might be the most noble verse in all the Bible. Listen to what Asaph says in verse 15. He says, but if I would speak thus, I would have betrayed the the generation of your children. He's mad at God. I mean, he's fuming and he's furious. And then he says probably the most noble thing in the whole Bible. He says, but I wouldn't dare tell anybody that. Because I would ruin the generation of your children. Listen, this verse is not an excuse to suffer in silence. Point four argues against that. The church is your family. But what Asaph is saying is something that I think is really important when we're struggling in our faith. It says to us, whatever you do, don't discourage others. Asaph took it to the Lord in prayer, but he didn't blog his blues. He didn't post it on Facebook and tell everybody about how upset he was and frustrated. And he's about to walk away from the Lord. He says, you know what? I'm angry with God. Things aren't going my way. My faith isn't all that it should be. But I wouldn't dare tell anybody that I would hate to discourage other people. And maybe sometimes I've seen it. I know you have people do a blog post or a status. They're upset about the local congregation or the church as a whole or some mistreatment that was theirs that they've received. And for likes and comments, they think it's going to be this great thing. But there's probably somebody else whose faith is hanging on by a thread that they're about to sever the cord from and ruin their faith. It's to say to us in times of hardship and difficulty, Just remember the words of Asaph. Asaph. Listen, if you're struggling and you're thinking about quitting, request prayers. Respond to the invitation. Call a meeting to talk with the elders, a mature Christian, the preachers. I'm not telling you to suffer in silence and pretend when you really don't feel it. Don't fake it. But don't discourage other Christians along the way. When you're drowning in your faith, don't offer anybody else spiritual swimming lessons. People are struggling. They're hurting and they're saying, you know what? I'm going to tell everybody I'm on the verge of walking away from the church. My light's flickering, so I'm just going to let your light go out. 
and in the time when somebody who's probably in similar circumstances needs to be pressing to the one that is in the light, we might encourage them to wallow into the darkness. Jesus says, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. We need to encourage people in the one and not the other. I can't read the hearts of people and neither can you. But if we ever think about quitting, I mean, leaving the church, frustrated, I'm going to move my membership to another congregation. I'm thinking about quitting Christianity altogether. I'm struggling with some Christian evidences. I've seen people do this, haven't you? And they up in a lot of other people's faith along the way. They get attaboys and amens. And I've been there and I can't read their hearts. But I know this. If Asaph was there, he would say, don't do that. What are you doing? It's bigger than you. There's the generation of his children. There are other people. And Asaph would say, I've been mad with God, but pray your complaints. Don't post them. He would say, take it to God, Philippians 2, 13 through 14. Don't fake it. Don't pretend. But don't soil the faith of others because you're in a season of difficulty. It may be the most noble thing anybody's ever said in Scripture. He's mad at God, but he says, I wouldn't dare tell a soul because I'm going to work through this. And later we can do an exposition of Psalm 73 and see the happy ending that was his. But what he knew is this. The last thing I want to do is give people a bad impression about God because I'm struggling in my faith. He leads off in verse one by saying, I know you're good. I'm just having a hard time. And if you ever think about quitting, don't discourage others. Here's the last one tonight. Number seven. If you ever think about quitting, fix your eyes on Jesus. This morning, we talked about the temptation of Jesus. And for a good reason, he was tempted in all points like we are yet without sin. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. He knows what it's like. Hebrews 12 and verse 2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus knows what it's like. In verse 3, the Hebrew writer says, consider his hostility that he faced towards sinners and all that Jesus endured. In fact, you haven't worked as hard as Jesus has in your walk of righteousness as he endured for us. Hebrews 12 and verse 4. If you ever think about quitting, remember Jesus. Worship him as divine because he is, but see his humanity. He was lonely. He was hungry. He was sad. He was abandoned. He was betrayed. He was lied upon. But one thing you've got to know about Jesus, he was a finisher. He says, I finished the work you gave me to do, John 17, 4. John 19 and verse 30, he cried out, it is finished. He went all the way. And if we're going to follow in his footsteps, we've got to be finishers. The song before the scripture reading Jeremy led us in tonight, he could have called 10th that he could have. He didn't. He had to finish. And as those that want to follow in his steps, if we ever think about quitting, we should think about Jesus and say to ourselves, I can't quit because he didn't. The poet says we mutter, we sputter, we fume and we spurt. We mumble and grumble. Our feelings get hurt. Sometimes we can't understand it. Our vision grows dim. But all that we need is a moment with him. If I can just think about Jesus and would he endure for me, that it was just as hard for him as it is for me. He got no easy pass because he was and is the divine son of God. Then maybe I can look at my suffering and say it won't make my load lighter or easier. I've still got to press through. But if he can, then I can. In fact, I not only can, I will. I will not quit on him because he didn't quit on me. In his greatest hour of darkness, he said, if there's no other way, then I'll go this way. Coper was right when he said to see the law by Christ fulfilled and to hear his pardoning voice transforms a slave into a child and duty into choice. When you see him bearing the weight of your sin on the cross and refusing to cry out for mercy and to abandon his post, it says to you and me, you know what? I don't feel like singing today and I don't always want to do the Christian things that I should, but I'm going to do it anyway. I've got a million things to do today. I really don't feel like praying. I'm frustrated. Life's not going. But to see the law by Christ fulfilled. And to hear his partnering voice transforms a slave into a child 
and duty and the choice. I'm going to do it anyway. I can't quit. I will press toward the goal because he pressed through in my stead. I hope you never quit. I hope you really never consider it or think about it. But if you ever think about quitting, I hope some of the things we've talked about tonight would encourage you to go in a different direction. If somebody ever confides in you and says, you know, I'm struggling with my faith. I'm struggling with New Testament Christianity. I'm struggling with what the Bible says about who Jesus is. I don't know if I really believe this stuff anymore. I mean, I'm still coming. I'm involved, but I'm on the verge of slipping away. I hope we can encourage them that every walk with God that we take isn't always easy, but it's always worth it. And if we walk with him, we'll end up where he is. Maybe tonight you need to obey the gospel. We'd be happy to assist you in obedience to the gospel or in studying with you for the first time. We'd love to do that. If we can help you, let us know. If you're on the verge of being discouraged to the point of quitting, if we can pray with you, pray for you, we are your family. And maybe you say, it's a lot of people here. I don't really want to walk down front, but I have been suffering in silence. Listen, you won't be alone on this front pew if you come down. But if you would rather be prayed for in private, reach out to one of the elders, church member here. We'd be happy to pray with you and pray for you. But the invitation is for that reason, to encourage us in this regard. If we can encourage or help you in any way, come now as together we stand and as we sing.